0: Well, good morning, everyone. Glad you braved the cold I drove in yesterday, and it was beautiful outside when I got home, and I thought, oh, we'll have a great weekend. I looked at the forecast, and I thought, 29 degrees? Really? That's crazy. Well, we started our study in Corinthians back at the beginning of the fall in September, and so every once in a while, I want to take an opportunity to just kind of step back and make sure we have a a good picture of where we've come so that we can continue to understand what Paul writes in the context of of this letter as a whole. You'll remember we learned that Paul had uh, really fled from Athens. In a sense, he'd been kicked out of town. And he came into Corinth alone. We learned from this letter uh, to the Corinthians that when he came to them, he came out of weakness and fear. But he was faithful to communicate the message of who Christ is And what he came to do. And as a result, there were people in Corinth who put their faith and trust in Christ. We learn from this letter that their testimony concerning that faith in Christ has been confirmed. That that Paul lived with them and saw that they had truly committed their life to to follow Christ. And so a Christian church began to form in the pagan city of Corinth. Not too long after... uh, Paul began to minister in Corinth. We know that uh, Timothy and Silas, who were with him previously, joined him in Corinth. And so they participated with Paul as they ministered to the Corinthian church. And, And over time, others came. We know about Apollos. We know about Peter. And these are men who invested their lives into the ministry of what was becoming a church in Corinth. Now, over time, as this church was established, there were leaders within that local body who began to to rise up into positions of leadership in the church. But unfortunately, instead of promoting unity, they began to create divisions because these leaders, these teachers were more on a political campaign than they were really building up the body of Christ. They were there to gain influence, to to build support, to become kind of the the popular choice among the people. And all these factions began to form as they started to rely on worldly wisdom instead of God-given truths. They began to lower the standard of expectations to broaden the the scope of the message that they would (laughs) gather people in around. We'll learn as we continue through this letter that they began to really minimize the importance of accountability because they didn't want to run anyone off. They're real concerned about keeping that club together. They were living a good life and considered that to be the evidence of God's blessing. And Paul gets this information from people who were in Corinth who've now visited him in Ephesus. And from this town of Ephesus, he then writes this letter to uh, help shepherd and encourage this Corinthian church that he felt like was on the wrong path. Pursuing the the wrong things with the wrong purpose in mind for what the church was to be all about. They were really just playing a a religious game. And so Paul writes this letter to, to help them understand what it means to live the Christian life in accordance with God's design. He understands that what's happening in Corinth The core issue within this church is an issue of pride. As we'll see this morning, it's arrogance. And it's a kind of a subtle form of arrogance, but significant nonetheless. And and what Paul knows is that it's very dangerous to confront prideful people. (laughs) Remember how we talked about it? It's like dismantling a bomb. So he's very careful about how he goes about addressing the issues in Corinth. He's careful, but uncompromising and dealing with the issues of concern. We've looked at how he uses illustrations. He talks about uh, God, people being God's building and and God's field. And and it's very much like what Jesus did in the New Testament when we see him speaking primarily through parables. He tells stories. And, And within those stories are truths that he wants the people to understand. Paul is doing the same thing in his letter to the Corinthians. We also know that instead of pointing his finger at other people and everything that they're doing wrong, he points it at himself. And he says, let me tell you what God's done in my life. And he shares his story. We also learned last week how he uses all kinds of literary devices, comparison and contrast, rhetorical questions, uses hyperbole. But in all these things that Paul is implementing, he's wanting to point them back to who Christ is and what he's accomplished he wants them to understand what what christ has done and what difference that should make in their life he's not interested in modifying their behavior he's interested in helping them understand how the spirit of god changes the heart of man and transforms a life that's what paul wants the corinthians to understand In our passage this morning, he's going to continue in this pursuit. And as he does, he's going to take the role of a loving father to a beloved child. He being that loving father to the church in Corinth, which he considers to be his beloved children. He's going to give us an example as we walk through this passage of how we're supposed to relate to one another. As brothers and sisters in Christ, in the family of God. He'll talk about how making disciples is all about role models having examples to follow. It's it's about a consistent message that is true no matter where you go and what setting you're in, consistently saying the same thing, living the same way. And it's about authenticity. It's moving away from this game of pretend to being real and honest with who you are and what God's doing in your life. He's just going to help us understand that, that the Christian life is not about playing a religious game. It's about honestly seeking to serve the Lord and to be faithful to serve one another. And that's where his heart is as we look at our passage this morning. So before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, as we come to your word this morning, we want to have um, hearts that are ready. Hearts that are prepared. uh, Hearts that are willing to listen, to pay attention. And to be moved by your spirit to make changes in our lives because of what you are speaking to our heart. So this morning, as we open your word, we ask that you open our eyes. That you open our ears. That you open our hearts. That the truth of your word transforms our life in ways that honor you that encourage one another and ultimately help us to fulfill the purpose that you called us to. Father, I believe that we are just in much of danger of pretending and and playing that religious game as this church in Corinth was. So help us see the picture of what you intend for your church through the words of Paul this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, verse 14, we'll pick up where we left off last, if you want to follow along with me there. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14, Paul says, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For, you, uh, for if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus... I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I exhort you to be imitators of me. Now, last week we talked about how Paul did not write these words to shame the Corinthians. He didn't make them want to feel bad as he talked about all the things that have happened in his life, the the harsh realities of his life as an apostle. He instead was using that to help correct their misunderstanding that being a disciple was a guarantee for the good life. And so in sharing his life story, it was basically saying, as you can see, that's not necessarily true. Here he comes to them as a a loving father to a child because he's unwilling to let them continue down the path that they're on knowing that it does not fulfill what God intends for their life. It does not allow them to experience that all that God's made possible. And as a father to a son, he says, I'm unwilling to let you go your own way. He says in that first verse in verse 14, I did not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you. That word admonish brings the idea of advising someone of a dangerous outcome. It is a corrective warning. That's what admonish means. The key here is that he wants the the Corinthians to understand what's lying ahead of them on the path that they're taking, and he wants to help them make a decision for themselves about what's most important, to help them appreciate the, the truth of what God's word says. But ultimately, he wants them to make the decision. He doesn't want to just have blind obedience or compliance because Paul said so. He wants to help them understand so that they can make the decision for themselves. And that's why he uses the comparison to what he's doing as a father to what a tutor would do. That comparison is very, very important and intentional. You see, it's very common in this culture for a wealthy family to hire somebody to watch over, typically young boys, before they reach the age of 16 where they were considered young men and lived fairly independent. So up until that time, this hired employee would watch over them like a hawk. And they were a strict disciplinarian. Their job was to make sure they stayed in line, and if they ever stepped out of line, they had permission from the parents to whack them. (laughs) That was their job. They led them as a tutor with punishment and shame. That's the way they accomplish their task. Now, some of you may have had a coach for a teacher at some point in your career, and you understand punishment and shame. I had a coach when I was in uh, junior high, ninth grade. I think by this time, you know, ninth grade at that time as a freshman, you were uh, still in junior high. You were kind of high man on the totem pole. So I was feeling pretty good about myself in junior high, and I was in a class who was taught by a man named Coach Butler. Still remember Coach Butler. He had an interesting form of of, uh, discipline in his room. Basically, the first time, if you acted up in class, he'd simply take an eraser, and he'd throw it at you to get your attention to shape up. If that didn't work, what he would do is he would take a... uh, He had an Arkansas Razorback paddle, and you had to come and put your hands in front of the class, on his desk, and he would give you licks. Okay, well, this particular day, I went through those two forms of discipline. (laughs) But apparently, I wasn't getting the message, because there was a third. And what the third form of discipline was, Coach Butler had, remember the metal trash cans? He took the metal trash can, put it upside down, and put it on top of my head. I'm not making this up. He took a stick and beat the trash can. That one worked. (laughs) But really, that's the idea. That's the picture that Paul has in mind when he's talking about these tutors. It didn't matter what they did, but their job was to keep you in line. And if that meant put a a metal trash can over the top of your head and beat it with a stick, then so be it. But you're going to behave. But they were managing behavior. They were not dealing with their heart. And what Paul's saying is, look, the Corinthian teachers are like tutors because really all they're concerned about is what you look like on the outside. They want you to do good so they look good. This is all about the show. And as a result, what was happening within the Corinthian church is that these Christians were more concerned about being liked than being holy. They were more interested in fitting in than truly following Christ. Instead of making disciples, they were really just making good Pharisees. People who fall in line with what everybody else thinks you need to be doing, but inside their heart there was no change. And when Jesus was in his ministry and he spoke to people that had this same issue in their lives, he was very candid. He called it. He spoke to the Pharisees who lived this lifestyle. He says, you're whitewashed tombs. You look really nice on the outside. Everything's shiny and pretty, but on the inside, you know what's there? Dead man's bones. His point is, is, is if you don't deal with the heart, you're not doing any good. Because the heart is where the Lord does his work. This is not about appearance. This is about faithfully following from your heart. And and Paul, as a loving father, wants to deal with the heart. He, He wants to help them understand that it is the Spirit of God that works in the heart of man to transform a life. And he wants them to be motivated out of that heart change, not compliance with a code. And so in verse 16, he says, Therefore... I exhort you, be imitators of me. Now, we might read that at first and think, well, that's pretty bold. Is he saying, I'm perfect, do what I do? No, because if you look at 1 Timothy 1, well, you don't have to look there, but just write 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, and I'll tell you what it says. Paul writes that letter, and he says, Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. So Paul was not looking at the Corinthians and saying, hey, I've got this thing down, just do what I do. He's saying instead, look, I understand what it means for God to change a very broken heart. That same letter, he goes on to say, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, it's the second time he says it, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example. For those who believe on Him and receive eternal life. In other words, I'm living proof of what God can do when He gets into your heart and changes your life through faith and trust in Him. And if He can do this with me, the chief of all sinners, then just imagine what He can do in your life and well. He said, What I want you to imitate is my trust an absolute dependence on the saving work of Jesus Christ and his love in my life. That's what I want you to imitate. Essentially, like any loving father, he's saying, I want to be the person I hope you become. This is not a, a do as I say, not as I do kind of conversation, right? He's saying, look, I want you to become somebody who is faithful to follow Christ, and I want to be that person as well. He understands that his most effective teaching tool is his testimony of a transformed life. I want you to become the person that I hope to be as I seek to follow Christ. And just think about what we've seen in Paul's letter so far. He's given us some evidence of what that role model example is intended to look like. He says, I've built my life on the foundation of who Christ is and what he came to do. And I desire the same for you. He says, I understand the the unity that exists within diversity. That I plan, Apollos watered, but we're one. I can't do it without him. He can't do it without me. We're in this thing together. There's this humility. There's faithfulness. This idea of being kingdom-minded so that, look, I realize that that my life as an apostle hasn't been easy, but this is not the world I'm living for. These are the examples of the life that that Paul is living that he's saying, I want you to follow this example because I'm learning just like you to put my faith and trust in who Christ is and to live for him completely. So imitate me. Now, look at what he says in verse... Seventeen. It says, "For this reason, I've sent to you Timothy, who is my brother and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways, which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church." Paul says, "Look, I don't. I'm not coming to you as a tutor. I'm not going to beat you over the head with a stick and tell you how to." Start living your life so that you obey a certain code and look good on the outside. He says, I'm concerned with what's going on on the inside, where your heart is. And I can't be there, and so I'm going to send Timothy. Now, what's interesting about that is they know Timothy, right? Because as I mentioned earlier, he was there not too long after Paul began to minister within the city of Corinth. But did you notice when we looked at the first of the letter, there were no factions being built around Timothy? There was, I'm Apollo's. I'm of Peter, I'm of Paul, but no, I am of Timothy. Why is that? Well, perhaps Timothy wasn't as impressive as these other guys were. Timothy, we know, was young and, and somewhat timid in his faith. We know that's the case because if you go to the same letter, which we will eventually get to in chapter 16, verse 10, he tells the Corinthians, he says, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid. In other words, treat Timothy with respect. Don't intimidate him because you can. In fact, I'm sending you Timothy. He had just said, be imitators of me. Therefore, I'm sending you Timothy. Because Timothy gives you an example of what I'm talking about. I kind of wonder if sending Timothy was on purpose (laughs) to confront their pride that they should have somebody of notability, right? Send me an apostle. That's who we deserve. He says, no, you deserve, you need Timothy. Because Timothy is the example that you need to follow. Because you know what? He's my beloved and faithful child. Now, what's interesting about that, he said in verse 14, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. But when he turns to Timothy, how does he describe him? My beloved and faithful child. He loved the Corinthians, but they weren't being faithful. Timothy was faithful, and that was the example that they needed to follow. A man who was not necessarily impressive in the eyes of men, but was faithful in the eyes of God. That's who they needed in their life. And Timothy had a real clear commission. His job was to tell them all the things that Paul had been communicating to all the churches everywhere, it was a consistent message. Because being a disciple is to make sure that you are not a chameleon where you change color and shape depending on your environment so that you can blend into whatever crowd that happens to be at the time. Paul says, no, being a disciple means you're the same person no matter where you go at any point in time. No matter what crowd, you're going to be the same. It's an unsegregated life where you live and speak with a consistent message. And Paul tells Timothy, tell them about that message that's displayed in the ministry that I have to each and every church and is evident in your life as well. What that tells us is the primary issue in Corinth was not some doctrinal error. Instead, the issue was that they had the truth, they just weren't living by it. But Timothy was faithful, and he could give them an example of what that looks like. To be humble. To be kingdom-minded. That was what Timothy could do. Paul sent him with a purpose intended to change their perspective, to move them from worldly values to spiritual truths. Really to wake them up from a spiritual apathy that was putting them to sleep. To call them to higher purpose. To live for something bigger than themselves. And Timothy could show them what that looks like. Now look at verse 18. Here's the issue. Now some have become arrogant. As though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I shall find out. Not the words of those who are arrogant. But their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words. But in power. What do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod? Or with love? And a spirit of gentleness. Paul confronts the core issue in the Corinthian church, and that is arrogance. Now, it's a subtle arrogance because they're not necessarily an open rebellion to Paul's authority. They just don't care. They don't give it any consideration at all. They're not submitting really to any authority in their lives, not to mention God's authority through God's word. More like living on their own, kind of doing what's right in their own eyes it was a customized Christianity based on what seemed to fit your life best but what's interesting here is that Paul says look in the absence of accountability you develop a culture of compromise and that's what's happening in the Corinthian church in the absence of accountability you will have a culture of compromise I don't get into your business you don't get into my business we're all good right Every man does what is right in his own eyes. They're playing a religious game. It looks great on the inside, but on the the outside. But on the inside, it's full of dead man's bones. It's a mess. There was a very popular form of entertainment in the city of Corinth that everybody, I'm sure, was involved in at some level or not, and that was the Greek theater. The Greek theater, if you'll remember when we looked at the city of Corinth, there were these huge amphitheaters, and very often the Greek theater was what was being portrayed there. What's interesting about the Greek theater was that uh, the only actors were men. There were no women actors. And and those men uh, played several parts within a production, okay? And so that man could play uh, a woman. He could play a child. He could play a... Uh, another man in that story, whatever that protection would be. The way he would do that is, and depict that character is he would wear a different mask. That mask would indicate who he was, but the very good actors were the ones who could change their voice and their mannerisms to make that character believable, to portray that particular one. And so this was very common within that culture that the Corinthians lived in. And, and Paul's concern that the church is becoming just another Greek theater where everybody shows up wearing their mask, being the person that they think the other one wants them to be, even changing their mannerisms and the the words that they say to, to make that person believable so that you'll accept them and be impressed with them. But Paul says, I'm more interested in the life you live More than the words you say. I'm not interested on how good you look on the inside. I want to hear what's happening on the inside. How God is changing your heart. where He's at work in your life. See, their arrogance was that they could talk a good game. That they could put on a good show. That they'd look good in the eyes of men. But in order to do so, they had to avoid accountability. They had to keep community at a safe distance. So that everybody could look good in their own eyes and We're all playing a game. Paul says in verse 20, that's not the way the kingdom of God works. He says when God rules in your life, instead of prideful ambition, it's a humble submission. What you believe impacts how you behave. That God's design calls us to live authentically within his church as his people because real intimacy demands, it requires authenticity. You know, just think about marriage or friendship. You can't love somebody if you don't know who they are, really. The beauty of a marriage relationship is the depth at which you know somebody, you know their heart, you know their fears, you know their joys, and you enter into that life with them. That Intimacy requires authenticity, and it's true in every relationship, including the relationships that we have with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We've got to come to a point where we trust God more than we're willing to protect ourselves. That the Christian life is not something that we live on our terms, but we align our life with what He calls us to. That this is not a masquerade ball. This is a family. And he calls us to to be authentic in our relationships with one another. Then in verse 21, he says, I'm not going to tell you what to do. (laughs) I'm just going to admonish. I'm going to give you a corrective warning. You decide. But whatever your decision is will determine how I come. Because discipleship requires accountability. And if you're headed in the wrong direction because I love you, I'm just not going to let you go. I want to help you be in the right track so that you can experience the fullness of all that God's made possible in your life as a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, as we think about that, if Paul calls the Corinthian church to imitate his example, then what would that mean for us as Melanie Park Church? How can we do the same following his example? Because remember, his his goal was to make disciples, not to manage sin. This is not an issue of looking good on the outside. This is dealing with what's on the inside. See, the teachers were real interested in you doing good so that we look good. They wanted you to play that religious game, to to go through the motions, to put on that mask, to be that person that everyone else thinks you need to be. Paul says, no, discipleship looks different. You remember when we had our parenting conference a few weeks ago, we talked about this issue of making disciples versus managing sin. And and we talked about how when we have that idea of managing sin, we typically rely on some of the things that, that Paul speaks to here. Guilt and manipulation, intimidation, threat. Those are all tactics when we want to manipulate behavior, when we want to manage sin but they're not effective when it comes to dealing with the heart. And so Paul's example calls us to something different. Making disciples is about heart change, which ultimately is in the hands of God. So what do we do? We do what Paul has demonstrated to the Corinthians. He says, I want you to follow me. I want to be the person I hope you become. That my life, I understand, is not just what I tell you, But it's what I show you because how I live is the most important teaching tool that I possess. And so I want to to be the person I hope you can become. In church, in this church, we don't need more tutors. We don't need strict disciplinarians who have their stick in hand and ready to slap you whenever you do the wrong thing. And give you the list of rules that you're supposed to follow. What we need are role models. People who walk alongside you and say, hey, look, I'm in this journey too. How about we walk together? And instead of pointing out at everybody else and what's wrong with them, they say, let me tell you about what God's doing in in my heart. Let me tell you about the things that that God's been dealing with in my life. I told you uh, last weekend that I took... Friday and Saturday, and went and spent some time with some guys that I've lived life with for 20-something years. And without fail, every single year, one lives in Austin, one lives in Tulsa, a couple in Lubbock, a couple in Dallas. We come together in one central place, and we give our story of what God's been doing in our life over the last year. Not only that, we have historically taken questionnaires that we've given to our spouses, to our kids, to our friends. And we've asked them to tell us how we're doing as a dad, as a husband, as a friend. We've taken all that and we've said, here's what I heard. And we invite them to each other to speak into our lives because we made a commitment 20-something years ago that we want to hit the tape running, that when the Lord comes home, we want to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We understand that if we leave this to our own initiative and just kind of doing the best we can, that the current of the culture is way too strong. By God's design, you were built to live within community, with people who care about you, who want to walk alongside you, who are committed to the same things and unwilling to play games. That's what you need in your life. That's what I need in my life. And that's what Paul is calling us to. We don't need more tutors. We need role models, people who come alongside your life and say, let's do this together. Now, in order for that to happen, you've got to be committed to an unsegregated life. You can't be a chameleon <laughs> so that you're one person in one environment, and then it changes when your environment changes. Students, this means that you're the same person in the locker room, in the lunch room, and in the living room. Who you are doesn't change with the environment that you're in because at your core, you want to be exactly who God made you to be. And let me tell you something. There is no more beautiful person on the face of this earth than the person God has created you to be. Uniquely designed you, placed you within a family so that what you contribute is of equal importance to anybody else in this room. And then when we do that together and encourage each other towards that, we fulfill the purpose that God's called his church to fulfill. And that's the difference in the world when the church lives that kind of a life. As brothers and sisters in Christ, Christianity is not a box you check. It's a person you become as you live authentically with one another. But that authenticity is important. Because we've got to be unwilling to play religious games. To put on the front that we think everybody else wants to see and not be who we really are. Which includes being honest with things that we're struggling with. Being able to come up and say, look, here's something I'm having a hard time with. Will you walk through this with me? Meaningful fellowship within the body of Christ is dependent upon authenticity. Keeping a safe distance from community is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. We cannot grow in Christ if we willingly choose to live outside of His design. I think that's Paul's concern. He's looking at the Corinthians and saying, look, you're still infants. You haven't grown. Why? Why? It's because they are willingly choosing to live outside of God's design. He says, you can't grow if you do that. So here's what God's design looks like. We need role models, not tutors. We need people who live unsegregated lives so that they're the same person no matter what environment they go in and the message they speak and the life they live is the same no matter where they go. In order to do that, they've got to live authentically so that they're not pretending to be perfect that they've got everything figured out, but they're being honest about what God's doing in their life and how he's drawing them closer to himself. We've been doing brown bag lunch for several years, and I hear over and over again women who sit into that room and listen to those testimonies and walk out of that place thinking, you know, I thought I was the only one that dealt with that issue. And and because of that, I figured that's just the way it was going to be. But what I just heard, is a story of redemption. And if that was true for them, then why couldn't it be true for me? That's the power of a testimony in the life of the church. And those stories of transformation should be told over and over and over again. The evidence of God's grace in the lives of His people to fulfill what He's called us to do and be. But we've got to be authentic with one another. Discipleship is ultimately a life that is centered on Christ, following his example, trusting in his promises, committed to his people so that we can carry out his purpose. And my encouragement to us as Paul was trying to encourage the Corinthians was let's be that people. Let's be that people. Let's have role models. Let's live unsegregated. Let's be honest with each other. Same person in the locker room, the lunchroom, and the living room. Parents, not just what you say, but how you live. Let that be the most effective teaching tool in your kids' lives, the person that you want to become. And let's be that people with one another. Let me pray for us. Father, we hear this and we're challenged by the fact that it is easy for us to fall into the same trap of the Corinthian church where we become a person that we think everybody else wants us to be. And we really lose sight of Of who you've created us to be uniquely. That we want to protect more than we want to reveal. That we want to change in our environments in order to please the people in that that situation. But Father, give us courage. Give us courage to be a role model. To walk alongside people and say, hey look, we're in this together. Let's do it together to be authentic and real with what's happening in our lives and invite people to come alongside us in that process. Father, protect us from keeping a safe distance from community. (laughs) What a dangerous place it is to be, to be isolated outside of what you've created for us in your church, your people. Father, may we be convinced in our heart that the growth that happens in our life is only possible when we live in accordance with your design. The promises and the, the fruit of what it means to be a faithful follower of Christ is, is found within that design. Father, I thank you for this church family, for what I see being evidenced over and over again, those, te- those stories of transformation that really give evidence of your redeeming work in the lives of your people. May we be faithful to tell that story over again and over again. Father, thank you for your time and your word this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. Have a great day.